While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began a debate with them. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting at the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like, them to, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, even I found an altar with the inscription to an unknown god. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, and that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach for him, for him reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of our, your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. There's a saying that I came across uh, a couple years ago. I think I've shared it with you all before. Uh, it says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to gather wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. Because if you, if you can teach a people and provoke a people to, to daydream about being out on the open sea sailing, and that becomes their heartbeat and their desire, they'll figure out a way to build that boat, won't they? And my prayer this, this, this evening with y'all is that God would provoke in you a glimpse of his missionary heart for this world and your friends, or you if you don't know him, but also would provoke in us just that desire to live in a city where the Christians in this city speak the same language as those who aren't Christians and therefore can have meaningful, coherent conversations and not talk over people or use language or ways of speaking that don't make any sense or never grab the hearts of the people that we're talking to. And so I, I guess you could retool that quote and say this way, if we want to build a community of people who have a helpful gospel presence in your friend's life, we can't start with just giving you evangelism 
tracks to memorize and go out and share, or systems or structures. Those things can be helpful, but you can't start there. You've got to start with a love of your neighbor. You've got to start with a desire to see God work through you in people's lives. So that's the prayer. If we're going to attempt that, um, we had better ask his help, because that's a big order. Let's pray. Jesus, there was a time with many of us in the room where just words that sounded like noise became music that captured our hearts, and you made us alive through those words of good news, that gospel. You put it into our language. You spoke it to us in a way that I and my friends could understand. You cut through the noise, the noise you pierced through it. And we want to be priests used by you in the lives of our friends in our city and our campus. We want to be used by you to speak your good news to our friends in a way they can understand. So, and I know you want that too. So please make it come true. And even let tonight be the beginning or another step on that journey. We pray it in your name and power. Amen. That's really what we're going to be talking about tonight. It's that simple idea. We'll start here. All of us um, have a native language, and that's the language that we effortlessly, mindlessly speak. So all the people that you talked to when you got here tonight, you weren't meta-thinking how you were going to talk to them uh, or what words you might use, or you weren't like, can they really understand what I'm saying, or am I speaking in a way that they understand? We, we all speak English at least, and so... We understand each other. We can have kind of effortless, meaningful conversations. But what do you do when you encounter someone or you're in a place where nobody else speaks English or the person that you encounter, they don't speak English? What do you do? Some of you went to places for spring break where that was the case. What did you do? We have a couple of options. Uh, There is the speak slower option where we, th- or, or speak louder, so we think like the, the, the louder my volume gets and the slower my pace gets, where is the bathroom? Suddenly English will miraculously translate itself into Spanish or Mandarin or wherever you were. Or we go silent. We're very quick to pull the lo siento no hablo espanol card. And the rest of the week that we're around those people, we just kind of politely smile and nod and walk the other way like, well, they're off limits to me because I can't have a conversation with them. And there might not even be much of an attempt. We kind of just resign ourselves to go silent. I guess I won't get to know those people. Either way, there's a breakdown in communication and there's a language barrier that, that can't be bridged. And so meaningful, coherent conversations and therefore relationship can't really happen. But there is another way, right? There is another way. Some of y'all know this. Some of us are like, there's another way? There is another way. And the third option is this. You can learn their language or they can learn yours. Even a little bit. You can learn a little bit of their language or they could learn a little bit of yours. So fluency doesn't even have to be the goal, just enough to have the beginnings of a conversation and therefore a relationship. Think about this. Go back to the last time you were in a place where not many people spoke English. Did anyone come up to you and at least say a few words to you in English? That kind soul spotted you and walked over and through broken or halting English said, welcome, how are you? And you felt loved. You weren't like, go work on your English and try again. 
you felt loved. Because here's a person who doesn't speak your language, who is investing a lot of effort to try to speak to you on your terms in a way that you could understand. Uh, and, and I told you all about the mission trip last week. We talked about it a lot. Uh, but w- when we were in Puerto Rico and we walk up to some of our friends who only speak Spanish <clears throat> on the work site, even our clumsiest attempts to try to speak a few Spanish words were met with a huge smile and a lot of patience to try to work it out and have a conversation. We experience it as love when people learn our language and speak to us in ways that we can understand, right? So this same Paul, who is preaching in the original Athens in this passage, he wrote the, the letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians. And in Ephesians 4, 29, he says, he says, only let come out of your mouth what's good for building others up, as fits the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear. We've talked about this verse in here before, but he says, only let stuff come out of your mouth that's good for building others up. Now, he was talking to how Christians talk and relate to one another in community, but of course this applies to how we speak to our neighbors, to our friends, whether they know Jesus or not. Only let come out of your mouth what's good for building that person up. If it won't build them up, if it doesn't fit them, if it's not gonna give grace to that particular person, Paul says, let the filter catch it and aim a little bit more before we fire. So you know what's not encouraging? What's not encouraging is someone trying to encourage you in a language you don't understand. It happened. Um, So the second day we were in Puerto Rico, we went to the, the Spanish service and you know, during the liturgy and when things were like written down on the page, like the order of service, you know, even if you have a little bit of Spanish background, you can pick up on what a lot of that is and read along. But when we got to the sermon and it was like Spanish a million miles a minute, I could barely like hear any gap between the words. I'm like, I'm lost. And that's just an example of someone who's trying to encourage me, but not in my language. It's not edifying. I can't even hear it. It doesn't get through to me, right? It's obvious with language. It's obvious with language. Those who do speak Spanish, Casey and Maggie and Josue on the team, got a lot out of that. And they translated it later and they told us what the sermon was about and that was encouraging. I hope you've picked up on the fact that we're using language and bilingual as a metaphor here. It's, we're not just talking about you learning a literal other language. That might be for some of you the application of what we're talking about tonight, but I'm speaking a little bit more metaphorically. Are you willing to learn the ways that your friends see the world, the hopes and aspirations of 21st century Western secular becoming post-Christian culture, are you beginning to pay attention to where our society is trying to replace Jesus? How is our society trying to produce its own version of the resurrection from the dead? How's our society trying to get rid of the problem of evil, this squirrely problem that nobody can get rid of? Are you starting to pay attention to it and say, huh, every culture, every generation is trying to replicate the original and find some alternate route to the same destination of life forever as it was meant to be? Are you beginning to pay attention to that so that you can speak in clear and coherent ways, kind of to have a, a, a gospel fluency or a cultural fluency, or with friends who you would describe as like not that religious or not Christian or whatever, 
uh, have you con- kind of gone the no hablo espanol route of like, well, we're not going to have a relationship because I just, it's like we live on different planets? Or are you just talking to them louder and louder, saying the same thing they don't understand, and slower and slower, and it comes across as condescending or unnecessarily offensive? What's your response to those things? Some of you know what I'm talking about with the, with the metaphor that we're trying to build. Um, you've been in a church search around Athens. Maybe you're a freshman and this is the life you're living right now. Every week it's a different church. You've heard a ton of Sunday morning messages. Did you encounter any preachers or speakers who you felt like they came from another planet? I'm not getting any of this. Like, was this person born in like 1800? Like, none of this is making sense to me. Speaking English right over my head. Can't be encouraged. You can't grow from that. Can't understand the gospel in that way. It's possible that we speak to our friends in a similar way. We, um, we think we're being clear because the words are clear to us, but they're not hearing it as clear, hearing it as confusing or irrelevant. Or why would anyone care about that? How does that in any way map onto the cares that I have in my life? So, um, Paul is modeling for us that love learns the language and the culture of its neighbor. That's what love does. It doesn't clam up and go silent. It doesn't simply repeat the same thing louder and slower. It learns how to translate, in this case, the gospel, the good news of the resurrection in Jesus, that life is found in him and it's available in him. Deliverance from evil inside you and around you is available in him freely. Not by you showing off to God, but by you being impressed by Jesus. And we can learn that other language. We can pay attention to our campus, our culture, our friends, and learn more and more. Maybe not even perfect fluency. I don't want you to, I, I don't want you, I don't, I don't want perfection to become the enemy of good in this little talk we're having right now where you're like, man, Ben you're pretty much saying like go to seminary and learn how to just do cultural analysis and how to translate everything into this ever-changing culture. No, because remember what we said earlier, even the smallest attempts, even the, the little efforts to learn the language of another person to speak on their terms is received with gladness on their end. It's, it's perceived as what it is, love. And when people know that you love them, they tend to listen to you. And when people question whether you love them or whether you're for them, they tend to tune you out. People will listen to hard things. The gospel includes some hard things. It has some very clear implications that there is one way to true life. There is one way out of this predicament. There is one way to you becoming God's original intent for you, a new person. And it's in Jesus. So there's some hard stuff to say there, but when a person knows that you're for them, that you've listened to them, that you love them, that you've heard them, people have a tremendous capacity to hear hard things when they know someone loves them. And that's what's happening here too as well in Acts chapter 17. Paul is translating good news that Jesus had translated to Paul who didn't think there was anything at all to this Jesus of Nazareth this resurrected Messiah that he was going to kill his people and snuff out the movement. 
Paul had already encountered a Jesus who had translated the good news into words, quite drastic words Paul understood, and now here Paul is in another city doing that to them. This is bilingual Paul. Think about the significance of this. Here's an apostle of Jesus, and he's in a pre-Christian culture. We toss around the term post-Christian, not because it's like the Holy Spirit's not allowed to bring revival anymore, or he's not allowed to work or build his church. He's, he's, uh, he's doing just fine in the Western world. Um, so I don't mean a post-Christian in the sense of like, God's not at work anymore, but I mean a culture and a society that doesn't see any value in God anymore, any plausibility in Jesus anymore. It's just kind of like, eh, not interested. That's what I mean by the term. And here is Paul in a pre-Christian culture. None of these people had heard about Jesus. None of these people had a church background. Zero of them had a church background. Most of them didn't have any biblical literacy. The Jews and the God-fearing Greeks did. They, they knew something about the Old Testament that Paul could reference. That he could, there was a little bit of shared language there, but for most of them, there was nothing. So think about, uh, you know, maybe perhaps if you're a Christian, your most heart-hardened friend who's least interested in any of the stuff that we do here on Wednesday nights. Think about that person. That's the audience that Paul is speaking to pre-Christian. There was nothing about them that, that gave them a leg up or made them a little bit more interested or curious about these things. And look what Paul does. Um, when Paul goes around their town and he said he was grieved in his spirit, did he pack up and leave town and say, sorry, no hablo espanol? Uh, did he just scream louder and louder? Was he kind of like the first century version of a tape preacher, turn the volume up until these people, maybe, maybe me screaming will get across uh, what, what they haven't gotten yet? No, here's what Paul does. Paul walks around. He walks the city streets, talks to little shop owners, he sits down, gets a cup of coffee, as it were, and he just watches. And he takes it all in. And he listens, which presumes he was asking questions. And he hears people out. And he observes and he connects the dots. Um, when it says in verse 18, um, a group of Epic and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. The word debate there uh, didn't mean what you might see on like, ESPN or Fox News where there's all these different people in their box and they're all talking over each other. They're all screaming. Nobody's listening to anybody. This was like a calm, drawn out, I mean, this might be the 3 a.m. front porch conversation kind of vibe. People are hearing each other out. There's a give and a take. Hey, okay, I hear you on that, have, but, but, but have you ever thought about this? Or what about this loophole? Uh, or this doesn't seem very consistent. You know, if about an hour ago you were saying this, but now you're saying this over here. Like, so help me understand what you, what you mean and kind of what you're building your life on. It, that kind of conversation, quite calm. This is how love does evangelism. Because it's trying to learn the language of another person and the ways, how they operate, why they tick the way they do, why they desire what they desire what they've done with Jesus, what they've done with the God who made them. 
This is the way Paul is uh, interacting with them. And when he does begin to talk to them, and remember, they're the ones who asked him to share more. Did you pick that up? It's mentioned several times in the passage. The Athenians are the ones who give Paul the microphone and say, would you tell us more about these ideas? And then if you flip over in the back of your page, they say it again after they've heard him. They say, some of them say, we want to hear you again on this subject of Jesus and his resurrection. This Jesus that you say raises dead people uh, to life forever. This Jesus that you say reconciles enemies to God forever. We want to hear more about you. Peter will say in his book, remember Peter from when we were back in 1 Peter? Peter says, always have a a reason for the hope that is within you. Peter is assuming Christians living their lives the way we've been talking about all semester provoke curiosity, provoke intrigue in the people around you. What is it about you? In, in, In a good way, usually, also sometimes in a negative way. But Peter presumes people are going to see something in you and ask about it. What is that about you? The Athenians are asking Paul, okay, go on, go on. Apparently they felt honored and listened to. Apparently they find what he's saying very relevant to where they're doing life. You know how we say here at RUF, God is a God who meets you where you are but doesn't leave you stuck there. We want to be a community that meets each other where we are. Here is Paul meeting the Athenians on their turf and their terms. Or I should say it this way. He's meeting them on their turf and God's terms. And God's terms is, um, you can't earn my love or perform your way into my favor. I give my love. I give my favor through faith in Jesus. So Paul comes to them on their turf and on God's terms of mercy, not merit. And that's what's ensuing here in this whole conversation. And why is an apostle doing this? Why is Paul doing this? Is it something unique to Paul? No. You look at any of the apostles, any of the writers of the New Testament. You just read the book of Acts. Have you ever done that? It's one long series of interactions with completely random people who didn't know a hill of beans about Jesus. And every conversation is custom tailored to that person and their station in life and what they needed to hear. So the Ethiopian eunuch in the early part of Acts um, is spoken to on the terms of an Ethiopian who's trying to understand the book of Isaiah. So Stephen goes and he tries to meet him there. And then there's Greeks who are pantheistic, polytheistic. They they have no categories for what Paul's talking about and Paul talks to them on their terms. It's like Jesus with the woman at the well versus Nicodemus versus the rich young ruler versus the tax collectors. It's same gospel, different packaging because Jesus is paying attention to the people that he talks to so that they can understand and hear and he can get through to them. God is doing this really throughout scripture. John Calvin um, said that that the Bible is, is really God's baby talk. It's like as a dad or a mom, if you wanna have a relationship with your six month old, you had better be prepared to do the whole gaga goo goo thing because otherwise you're not going to be able to talk to them until they're about two. Love stoops down into somebody else's world and it learns their language and it speaks to them in a way that they can apprehend. 
that registers, that gets through to them. And God does this all the time. You know what the word polygloss means? It means somebody who can speak just about every language. God's a polygloss. He knows how to get through to a five-year-old in a five-year-old kind of way. How do we know? All the five-year-olds, many of you, who came to faith when you were five. God speaks every language, obviously. God knows, how to, God knows how to share good news with a poor person who's been victimized and oppressed. And he knows how to speak good news in a way that gets through to the heart-hardened wealthy who couldn't feel their need for him if they tried. He knows how to do that. He can speak both languages. He knows how to speak to the incarcerated and the hopeless. He knows how to speak to the brokenhearted who've had their hearts and their lives trampled by sin and darkness. He knows how to speak to heart-hardened frat kids. I won't go back into my story. I don't want to overshare by bringing that up all the time, but Jesus knew my language, and he knew how to get through to me, and he did. Anyone in this room who's a Christian is because Jesus equipped some other person to speak your language at your level on God's terms. And through his spirit working through that person in their weakness, in their minimal fluency, in their meager little attempts to try to speak a little bit on your terms, Jesus worked because he's kind and he loves to share the good news of his gospel. So because God does this, his apostles and his followers and his priests do this, which means we do this. Sorry, allergies showed up yesterday and are killing me today. So this is what Paul is doing. Now, listen, I told you earlier, this is an intimidating passage to, to teach from because it's just, there's just so much there. This could be weeks of messages that come out of here. And so I, I realize we're, we're skimming over a lot. And I also told you, if you talk to anyone who's, uh, I see a few of us out there who are a little bit older than y'all. And if you ask us, um, how did you learn to share your faith or share the gospel with your friends? I bet people would say, well, really, uh, it was a couple of decades of learning, of reading, of practicing, of trying, of failing, of tweaking, of trusting Jesus and not knowing whether it was helpful to that person or not. So we can't squeeze that into this. But again, I'm trying to provoke a hunger in you to want to learn for the sake of your neighbor. Because Many of you know the joy of God talking to you in ways you understood that got through to you and became good news to you. And now you want to go be that kind of a helpful presence in the life of other people. Well, here's a couple of practical things we're going to have to do if that's going to happen, and then we'll end. First of all, we're going to have to slow our role when it comes to what we think of as evangelism. And we're going to have to challenge ourselves. If you have a task orientation, uh, more of a goal orientation with, I just want to kind of like get this paragraph that I have memorized and dump it on this person so that we can try to get to a decision. I hope already you've been seeing um, probably not helpful, maybe not loving. I'm not saying it's inherently not loving. I'm saying maybe not. Did you listen? Do you know that person? Have you heard them? Can you aim your words? Or is this just scattershot? You have permission to slow down. 
this was not a one-and-done event, even with Paul, an apostle. It led to follow-up conversations. Some of them wanted nothing to do with what he said. What's this babbler saying? What's all this strange, like, what is this stuff? Some of them were like, I do want to hear more, and some of them were persuaded and followed Jesus after this. But that's a process in evangelism and sharing the gospel and bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus with our lives and our words is a process, not an event. Another person is not simply a target to be unloaded on, but a unique person to be known and understood and graciously challenged, lovingly challenged to consider their life and their world and reality from a different perspective that holds water. We've already seen this in Paul, but Paul knew his Bible, Paul knew his culture, and so Paul was able to aim his words about Jesus at a very specific bullseye that seemed to get through, given their response. Missionaries will tell us this too. Missionaries in places that are a couple of decades ahead of America in, you know, kind of secularism. And they'll say, Tim Keller will say in New York, the average Manhattanite, he's noticed over 20 years of ministering to people in Manhattan and lower Manhattan, um, probably two to three years of gospel conversations, two to three years of lunches, 15 or 20 individual sit-downs working through this stuff listening and and dialoguing back and forth. Missionaries in Japan will tell you that's about 10 years there. Because of the unique things going on culturally in different pockets and different places that, that blind us to certain things about the gospel, that make certain things implausible, that make certain things bigger hills to climb. Paul would also say we can look for common ground and that's where we can start building. Scripture says every human being, there's only one kind of human being, and it's a human being made by God, for God, in God's image. Romans 1 says we all know there is a God. We know he's supreme. We know he's powerful. um, But we don't like him. Sin has put paranoia and suspicion in our hearts. We know he's there. Everybody's religious. Everybody's spiritual. G.K. Chesterton said, When somebody stops believing in God, it's not that they believe nothing, it's that that they'll believe anything. I've been fascinated by statistics uh, recently showing um, Americans' belief in aliens is approaching the 50% mark, which is kind of comical, but you're you're like, really? With that, that level of evidence versus this level of evidence? We look for common round. Paul says, I see that you're very religious. I see that in every way you're spiritual. And Paul begins the conversation there where they, where they have common ground, where they share that. And Paul says, I have great news for you. I even saw a statue with the inscription on the bottom of it. They chiseled it into the marble and it said, uh, to an unknown God. And Paul, Paul starts there. And he says, it's, it's odd to build a statue to a God you don't even know. Um, and I got good news for you. This God you don't know, I do know. And Paul calmly begins to converse with them about a very real, very specific God that he knows. 
who has changed his life. And last, I would say, your very life is evidence of the resurrection of Jesus if you are in Jesus. Your very hope, your very peace, your transformation, um, the fact that your salvation was impossible apart from God supernaturally working on you, miraculously calling you to himself, getting through where no one else could get through. There's no explanation for why anyone's a Christian other than God sovereignly got through to them and opened their eyes and gave them a new heart. And if you are in Jesus and walking with him and growing with him, your very life is evidence. Your very story is powerful. And it's your story. So it holds credibility with your friends. I'll end where I started. Do you feel the desire or could you pray tonight for more of a desire to learn your Bible, this gospel, your cultural moment, the lies that have captured your mind or your friends' minds so that you can be a helpful presence in their lives? If you're coming to college and investing tens of thousands of dollars in years of your life to study things you will legitimately mostly not need, why in the world would we not give anything of ourselves to study what you and everybody needs every day to the extent that you love your neighbor, we'll see ourselves doing this. Let's pray to Jesus to give us a deeper love for our neighbors. Lord Jesus, that's what we pray for. There is so much here, I just, I don't even know what will remain with my friends or me beyond tonight. But Holy Spirit, you do, this is your word. You were good with it. You were competent, so I pray that you would push that into um, the hearts and minds of my friends. And I pray that the result and the fruit that you would bring, even from our time together tonight, is Christians who take seriously our call to represent your goodness and your grace to the world. And I pray that you would even give us the motivation to read more and study more and learn more practice more and ask for more help. We want to be used by you the way you used others in our lives. We pray this in your name and power.